If you'll take your Bible and uh, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. I'm going to read a verse of Scripture, then I'm going to tell you a story. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. I'm going to, make, I'm going to take this reading uh, from the authorized version. <laughs> This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. I'll read it to you from the International Version. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. I want to tell you a story this morning, a true, sad, and happy story. Like all the really great stories, it comes from England in the 1800s. It's a story of a Baptist pastor named Andrew Fuller and his son Robert Fuller, his oldest son. His oldest surviving son, you might say. Andrew Fuller, he wrote a small book that revolutionized the entire Calvinistic Baptist world in England. And as a result of his book, it really just blew the world open for for foreign missions. His key text for that verse was the one I just read to you. 1 Timothy 1.15. Now the heartbeat of Andrew Fuller was to get the gospel out to the world and he worked to be sure that people knew that the gospel was worthy of believing and that it was for everyone. It was for the baddest of the bad, the worst of the worst. The burden of his heart was that every single man, boy, and child would know the gospel, that they would know the good news of Jesus Christ, that there is only reconciliation with God through Jesus Christ. Andrew Fuller lived from 1754 to 1815. And in 1796, Andrew Fuller got his 14-year-old son a job. He got the boy a job that was 90 miles away in the city of London. Fuller pastored in a city called Kettering. And in those days, you know you had to grow up a little bit earlier than you do nowadays. 14 years old, a guy began to do a day's work, got a job, learned to trade. And so his father got him a job in a warehouse in London. But Robert, he didn't really care for that job. You ever had a job you didn't care for? (laughs) He didn't like this job. So he went back home. He got out of that job. He went back home to Kettering. And as Andrew looked at his son, his son seemed to be somewhat unstable in his spirit. And the father was looking at his son and thinking about him. And his father began to consider the fact that maybe his son was in a spiritual crisis. And he began to wonder if his son Robert was even a Christian at all. And this is something that Christian parents have in their minds. They wonder if their kids are really Christians. Most children who grow up, in, grow, grow up in church, they make a profession of faith between age 6 and age 12. They make some kind of profession of faith. Sometimes it's at a vacation Bible school. Sometimes it's in Sunday school. Sometimes it's right there at home. They make a profession of faith. But then they begin to wonder, is that really, did it really work? Did it really take place? The thing that really begins to cause that thinking to come into your mind as a parent is when the puberty comes, because that's such a climactic, cataclysmic moment in a child's life. Their whole world's being set on its ear. And during those times, it's not uncommon for the children of Christian parents to become indifferent about Christianity, if not externally, then certainly internally. And so Christian parents are concerned about this. They want their children to follow the Lord. They want their children to be saved and follow Christ. 
And when our kids appear not to be following Christ, that reality, that possibility can be nearly debilitating to a Christian parent. It breaks their heart. Even though their child may be gainfully employed and be a model citizen or just basically wonderful in every way, the reality is those things, moral goodness, will not take anyone to heaven. Listen to God's word from Ephesians. It is by grace you are saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works that no one can, no one can boast. No one gets into heaven by their own merits or by their own personal goodness. Nobody gets into the glory realm because they've been a good dude or a good gal. Robert was restless as a young man. And sometimes the restlessness of a person's soul can put them on on unstable ground, very unstable ground. When we are unregenerate, when when we are unsaved, we are very often tossed around from one thing to another. Ephesians 4.14 calls it being blown here and there by winds of teaching and taken in by the craftiness of men and through their deceitful schemes. So it was with Robert and his instabilities. His father, trying to help him, got him an apprenticeship. Now, an apprenticeship in those days was how one learned to trade. Usually, it was a contract of some years where you earned your room and board but made very little actual money. Usually, it could last five to ten years. Robert didn't like that, so he bailed out on his apprenticeship, ran off and joined the army. But when the army found out that he had bailed out on his apprenticeship, he was discharged from the army. Now he's back home, trying to figure out what he should do. It's hard to find a place now. He has a bad reputation. He can't keep a job. The army doesn't want him, and now that's hanging over him. So what's he going to do? So in 1799, at age 18, he joins the Marines. And like so many who join the Marines, not the U.S. Marines, but the British Marines, in that kind of climate, he didn't really care for that either. wasn't quite the life he thought it would be. And so he asked his father to help him get out of the Marines, and he did. Well, the next thing his father did was got him a place on a merchant ship to be a sailor, to make some money. But before he could begin his uh, time on the merchant vessel, he ran into what's called a press gang. Now, in, in 19th century England, if you were a single man walking around, you looked able-bodied, the, the British Navy had trouble getting sailors. And so if they ran into you on the sidewalk and you looked like you were available, they might take you under arrest and forcibly enlist you in the U.S. Navy. Almost like being in prison in some regards. So this press game, they got him, they forced him into the Navy. Now Proverbs tells us this. Proverbs says that beatings are laid up for the backs of fools. I want you to remember that as we go along. Now, Robert has been introduced now into the rugged and brutal life of an involuntary member of the British Navy. And in the British Navy in the 19th century, the work was hard, the food was bad, and the discipline was severe. Now, can you believe that Robert didn't like the Navy? (laughs) Forcibly conscribed, working long hours, cramped conditions, bad food, even the worst companions... He didn't like the Navy, and at one point on board the ship, he did something on board the ship that caused him to receive as punishment 300 lashes. That's three, zero, zero, three hundred lashes across his back. 300 lashes is the kind of punishment that a person would receive in lieu of going to prison. So there's your choices. Go to prison 
Or take 300 lashes, and if you live, you might be able to escape prison. And that's what Robert did. He had committed some kind of serious infraction on this ship. But this beating was so severe that it actually destroyed his health, and the, the Navy put him out. But Robert's father heard about it. He actually heard two things. The first thing he heard was he heard that Robert had died because of the beating. The second thing they heard was that Robert was very sick. That was true. Andrew Fuller took Robert back into his home, nursed him back to health. Now this, this time of convalescence was good for, him, for Robert. He kind of calmed down a little bit. He recovered and, and kind of began to stabilize a little bit. Getting 300 lashes has a way of doing that to you. He's beginning to even out a bit. He got a new job, and he's working in that job. But Then the old wanderlust returned, and in April of 1805, at age 26, he joined the Marines again. But this time, he's older, wiser, more mature, has a better outlook on life. And his decision was kind of sudden. Without a lot of planning, he, just, he joined, and they took him away almost immediately to Brazil. And on his trip to Brazil, he... Other things happen. His departure was so sudden that his father had no idea where he went. All he knew was that he had enlisted and was gone. And um, kind of shocking. But Andrew Fuller and his wife, uh, they, never, they, never met, they never saw Robert again in this world because uh, he didn't live too much longer after that. What Robert was doing, he was trying to find joy somewhere. He was looking for happiness somewhere, somehow, but it just was not to be. And I want you to listen to a few lines from an old country song, and don't judge me, all right? I was looking for love in all the wrong places. Looking for, <laughs> looking for love in too many faces. Searching their eyes, looking for traces of what I've been dreaming of. Hoping to fry, find a friend and a lover. I think this describes a lot of people many times. Looking for joy, looking for love, looking for it anywhere they can. When I was a kid, we had rabbit dogs, beagles. We'd turn out those beagles, and they would go all over the ground with their nose like a vacuum cleaner. Just breathing in the air, all over, looking for something. Anywhere, just everywhere, behind, in, over, and above, looking for some kind of Love, looking for some kind of joy. I want, to say to you, and I want to say to you today that the lover of your soul, the true and only love you need is Jesus. And my friends, I want you to be aware of something. Satan is, Satan is a real and true being just like Jesus is. He's real. He's in the world. And Satan is the enemy of your joy. And Satan, what he does, he comes to you with a bag of goodies and he invites you to take all you want because these things are all free. But these things are not really free. It's a trap. It's a trap. Remember Satan in the Garden of Eden? He comes to Eve and Eve sees the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And Satan says to her, Has God said you cannot eat of this tree? And Eve says, Yes, God has said we cannot eat this tree and we cannot even touch it or we'll die. But what Satan does is what Satan always does. Is he causes Eve to think ill of God. He causes Eve 
to question God's motives because Satan says to Eve, God knows that if you eat of this tree, you will become a God yourself. And that's the lie. And Eve, in her, in her fallen, in her not fallen nature, but in her falling nature, this rings a bell with her. And so when she sees that the tree is good to eat, she eats it. But just like stolen bread, it turned to gravel in her mouth. Have you ever done something thinking, oh, this is going to be a big payoff for me? This is going to work out great for me? Only to have it blow up in your face? Only to have it backfire? This is what happens with Eve. She is seduced by Satan to following his lie, hoping to find some prosperity, some joy. But it's a deception. Proverbs chapter 2, verse number 12, warns us that in the world there are wicked people who use perverse words to lure us from the good path to the dark side. Now this past week was May the 4th, and so I'm going to pay homage to the day, all right? Like Darth Sidious, who lured Anakin Skywalker into following the dark side, so it is with Satan. Promises you all the delights of being a part of the evil empire. The soft, but it's a lie. It will cost you everything. Be careful, my friends. Satan's tempters are out there in the world. And Satan's agents, they don't come to you looking like a zombie. They don't come to you looking with all the, with all the, with, with all the, the frightening effects. 2 Corinthians 11 says they masquerade as servants of righteousness. Or in the words of Jesus our Lord... He says they are wolves in sheep's clothing. Well, back to our story. In 1808, Robert, age 29, as a member of the British Marines, he hits the wall and he writes to his father from Portugal. And he says to his father, he says, I'm sorry for all the trouble I've caused. And he expressed real remorse for his foolishness. And he says to his father, I would love to hear the gospel once again. What a change has taken place inside of him. And my friends, to the unregenerate, to the unbelieving, the gospel of Jesus Christ is salt in the wounds. It's like, it's like dirt in your eye. But when God breaks through, when God begins to work in our hearts and minds, our whole attitude about the gospel changes. And instead of a loathsome thing, the gospel is something we delight in and rejoice after. And I want to ask you this morning, how do you feel about the gospel. How do you feel about it? The old hymn says that we, are, we who are saved are hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. To hear the old, old story of Jesus and his love. How do you feel about the gospel? Is it something that irks you? That irritates you? And makes you angry? Or do you love it? Do you long to hear it? Does it really ring the bell of your heart? Is it, a, is it a healing balm to your wounded soul? How do you feel about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Robert's letter was written to his father from Portugal. So he'd made it back to Europe, and his father was able to get a letter off to him relatively quickly for the times, and his father wrote in the letter, he said, Son, I love you, and I, have, I bear you no animosity, and I completely and fully forgive you. But this is an extract from his letter. Exact words. 
Listen as I quote. My dear son, I am now 55 years old and may soon expect to go the way of all the earth. But before I die, let me teach you the good and the right way. Hear the instructions of a father. You have had a large portion of God's preserving goodness, or you would by now have perished in your sins. Think of this and give thanks to the Father of mercies who has to this point preserved you. Think too how you have treated him and be ashamed for all that you have done. Nevertheless, do not despair. Far as you have gone, and low as you have sunk in sin, yet if you return to God by Jesus Christ, you will find mercy. Because Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, even the chief of sinners. Even the chief of sinners. The words that I have emboldened in this, in this statement are those four words, Nevertheless, do not despair. As Fuller has some idea of the depravity of his own heart and some idea of the proclivities and depravity of his own son's heart, he knows that sinfulness, when we become aware of our sinfulness, it can cause us to despair. Would anybody love me? Would anybody have me? Would God take me? Am I too rotten to be had by the heavenly one? Fuller says no. Far as you've gone, low as you've sunk in sin, yet if you return to God by Jesus Christ, you'll find mercy. For Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, even the chief of sinners. This last sentence is from 1 Timothy 1.15, and Andrew Fuller's whole ministry was defined by that verse, so it is incredibly fitting that to his beloved wayward son, he writes those words, Jesus has come to save sinners. Jesus himself said, I did not come to call the righteous to repentance. They that are whole have no need of a physician. What scripture says is, Jesus, I've come to take the tired. I've come to take the weak. I've come to take the sinful. I've come to take the sick. I've come to take the broken. And to heal them through the gospel. To heal their soul and restore them to fellowship with God. To be reconciled with God through the blood and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The gospel is good news. It's not just good news, it's the best news. The good news. Andrew Fuller wrote this letter to his son. Launched it upon the waves to him, but he never got a response. Because four months later, his son Robert died. Heartbreaking. No word. No news. Just dead. Seven years later, in 1815, Andrew Fuller died. He was 70 years old when he died, and he had been a preacher of the gospel his whole life. He was preceded in death by his first wife and the son he had with her, Robert. Now, my friends, I want to pause to tell you something. The thing we all want, the thing we don't, none of us want to think about, and that's the death is coming. Death is coming. 
It's coming for all of us. You guys ever seen that old Disney movie, Pollyanna? The Puritan minister in New England is preaching and he says, Death comes unexpectedly! He says it about four or five times. It's a funny scene in the movie. But it's so stinking true. Before you know it, there it is. Staring you in the eye. Death. Death is the great equalizer. Poor and rich. Wise and foolish. Men and women, young and old, will all meet death. I've read a lot of biographies. My shelves are full of them back there. Biographies of saints and sinners. Doesn't matter how wealthy you are or how smart you are, death is going to come one of these days knocking on the door. And it doesn't go away. Death is going to come for us all. Came for Robert Fuller, came for Andrew Fuller. It's coming for you and for me. Andrew Fuller had a younger son who was also named Andrew. Andrew was born in 1799. He was nine years old when his brother died. He was 16 years old when his father died. In that time period, Andrew, he became a Christian himself and eventually became a Baptist pastor. Thirty years after his father died in 1845, Andrew, the son, was in Scotland preaching where he was ministering at a Baptist church and he ran into a Baptist deacon there whose name was Mr. Waldy. Waldy, upon hearing Andrew's name, asked him if he was related to the English pastor of the same name. Andrew said he was. Mr. Waldy told him that he had been on a ship for a while with his older brother Robert before and when he died. And here's what Waldy said about his brother. He said, your brother and I opened our hearts to each other. And then Mr. Waldy said, you know, your brother was a fine, pleasant Christian man. We prayed together many times. Prayed together many times. Now, Andrew Jr. did not know his older brother well, but I'm sure that Andrew had a front row seat to his father's sorrow, to his parents' sorrow, and I'm sure also that he was so glad and comforted to learn firsthand from an eyewitness that his wayward brother had been born again before he died. What joy! What glorious joy to know that this wayward one had found Christ. Because Christ is everywhere. But he found him. And Fuller says, but if only his father had known. He wished he could let his father know that his brother had become a Christian. But the truth is, he didn't have to let his father know his brother had become a Christian, did he? Because when Andrew Fuller died, Seven years after his son died, a Christian, where do they meet up at? They have to meet in the heavenly realm. Thirty years. They had they'd actually been together in heaven for 30 years. Because Scripture tells us to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And those who have trusted in Christ are with the Lord. Jonathan Edwards, in his sermon, Heaven, a World of Love, he's trying to describe what heaven is like. Now, there's not a whole lot of, there's not a lot in the Bible about what heaven is really like. 
We have the description of the city in Revelation. But exactly the goings-on and all the, the machinations of heaven are not, are not really known to us. But Edward's kind of working, working from what he knows of Scripture. Here's what he says. He's the, he says, heaven is a world filled with love. And since it's a world, a world filled with love and centered upon love, we can expect to be with those who we loved on earth who became Christians to be the people we spend eternity with in the heavenly realm. So we'll be with those we love in heaven. And in my imagination, I can see this in my mind. The old preacher, Andrew Fuller, arriving in the glory world, and after seeing the face of the one who had loved him and died for him, Jesus, and then seeing his beloved wife, I can see her saying to him, Andrew, guess who else is here? And to see his son Robert, whole and saved. What a day. What a great reunion moment. What a great reunion hour gathered together, together, together in glory. My friends, today by God's kind providence, all of us are here today. Me and you and the Holy Spirit. I really believe this is the message of the hour. And that statement is, (laughs) as I read it, I've thought about not preaching this sermon three times this morning. I told Mitchell at the house before we left, I'm I'm having second thoughts about this sermon today, thinking about just ditching it and doing something different. But I felt earlier in the week that this was the message that I should preach. And so I just stuck with it. So when I say I believe it's the message of the hour, it's not without some wrestling on my part. And I believe with all my heart that God wants you to know that no matter the depth of your external or internal sinfulness, God has us all here right now so that I can tell you that Jesus died for sinners to pay for their sins and that he rose from the grave so that all who believe, who all believe in him, who all that believe in him will be saved. There's no other hope for you outside of Christ. Only The only way you can be made right with God is through recognizing your unrighteousness, repenting of your self-righteousness, and then calling on Christ to save you. That's the only way you can have... It's the only way you can be saved from death and hell. It's the only way you can be reconciled to God is through Christ Jesus. Now, you may be able to leave here today an unbeliever, but you cannot leave here unwarned of the, of the eternal doom that awaits you without Christ. You cannot leave here uninformed of the gospel. And you're not going to leave here unloved by God either. Because God is seeking sinners. He's hunting for them. And I wonder if he's calling you today. Have you heard his voice in the quiet moments of your life? Saying, come to me. Believe in me. John Bunyan And the account of his conversion to Christ talks about the voices that he heard as he's coming to Christ. He heard a voice saying, come to me. I love you. I'll cleanse you. I'll have you. But there was another voice that Bunyan heard too. It was a voice saying, damn him. Curse him. Away with him. Run from him. These two voices, the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, come unto me and be cleansed. Come and be washed. And another voice saying, run from him, flee from him. 
these two voices. Can you hear the voice of Christ calling you today? In your, in your inner person? Have you had verses from your childhood or your past leap into your mind? All of a sudden, in strange times, in strange places, this is the, the working of the Holy Spirit where God is calling to you. Saying, come unto me. My friends, eternal joy and earthly contentment can and will only be found in Jesus Christ. But some of you are so stubborn, so intoxicated by sin, that like Robert Fuller, you're going to have to suffer a while longer. It's going to take a big beating to slow you down. It's going to take being all by yourself in a ship somewhere. But I beg of you, do not delay. Don't wait any longer to run to Jesus. Run to him now. My dad would say it like this. My dad would say, throw down the shotgun of rebellion and surrender to the high sheriff of glory. (laughs) Throw it down! But I want to say it to you once again. 1 Timothy 1.15 Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, even the worst. Even the worst. One final word. Friends, parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, loved ones, never underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit to cause the seeds of the gospel sown years before in a person's mind, to bring about faith in Christ. You see, our great God, in the time of His love, can cause new life inside of anyone who's heard the gospel. And it could be that long after our lives are over, that our loved ones will find Jesus, that they'll come to faith in Christ, and then in that glorious world where there is no night, be reunited to never be parted. Let's pray together. Usually we sing a closing hymn, but we're not going to do that today. We're, we're going to forgo it, so I'm going to pray, and then I'll give you a benediction. Heavenly Father, we have come here this morning to worship you, and a lot of folks have come here today to to see their moms. And I pray, Lord, that you bless their time together. I pray, Heavenly Father, most of all, that every person in this room would come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I've tried to tell the story of redemption in a way that will stick in our minds. I pray, Lord, that it will. I pray, Father, that We'll see people saved maybe in this moment, an hour, maybe in years to come. I pray these things in Jesus' holy and glorious name. Amen.